Glad you're here this morning. Thankful for John and for Mark as they've led these past couple of weeks as Brian and his family have been at Disney World. Can you imagine being at Disney World for two weeks? Anyways, there. No, who said no? <laughs> Anyways, they're on their way home, and uh, we'll, Brian will be here tomorrow night to lead us uh, in our Christmas Eve service. So hope that you can attend tomorrow night. I know some of you uh, already have plans and are about to skip town anyways, and so, uh, so I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year as, uh, as that is the typical thing to say. So, but I do hope that you have a Merry, Merry Christmas. Turn to, uh, to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to talk this morning about um, the Advent time of, of Christ. Uh, we've been talking about how Christ has been and is worth the wait. He's worth waiting for. I heard numerous stories this week already um, of folks who uh, were in line somewhere and decided it was not worth it. It was not worth the wait for the particular gift that they were in line for or whatever the case may be. I stood in line at uh, Rancho Grande Buffet this week and it was worth it. I promise you it was worth it. And so I had no problem standing in line there to get those enchiladas. Anyway, so we, we, um, we decide for ourselves what's worth the wait and what's not. And so this morning uh, we want to come to this conclusion almost um, that Christ, uh, the Savior, is born and that he is absolutely worth every bit of our waiting, every bit of our patience. He's worth everything, uh, all of your life to give for. And so, um, so as I read to you earlier this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, there in verse 16 it said, and, and this is the end of the genealogy of Jesus here, but it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we open up your word, as we study, as we, as we talk this morning, God, as we wait uh, for the end of the message, as we, ate, as we wait for uh, lunch, as we wait for whatever's next, God, as we wait for Christmas morning uh, for some, uh, to open presents or to open gifts, uh, Lord, we, we pray this morning you would stir in our hearts. Uh, just for the next few minutes, God, that we would be uh, moved by you, that our hearts may be in tune with yours, God, that we may think through uh, Christ uh, being our Savior, of him being the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that you sent. God, may we hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Into the broken world that we live in waits for perfection. And as I typed this out, I noticed just now that I misspelled the word wait. Instead of spelling it W-A-I-T, I I spelled it like lifting weights. The broken world waits for perfection. So ironic because in that sentence there that I misspelled, there is absolutely no perfection. The broken world that we live in just so you know, it waits for perfection. It's longing for perfection. How many of you had coaches in high school or coaches now in junior high or high school that longed for perfection in your life? I saw a video of a, of a Texas high school team that, that lost in the championship this week, and their coach told them, hey, it's, yeah, we're the loser. We are the loser. We're second place, but we've never had a trophy like a second place state trophy in our trophy room. So still, though we're not perfect, we still have something to rejoice over. But we long for perfection. We want that perfect season. We want that perfect Christmas moment. We want that perfect life. We want that Hallmark movie, that Christmas movie that everything works out perfectly. We seek satisfaction. The broken world that we live in seeks satisfaction. We're desperate for it, desperate to be satisfied. We wish that that one enchilada or two enchiladas or three would be, be enough to, to fill us for the rest of our life, but we, we continue to long for, for more. And in that longing, we become impatient. Do you know folks who are impatient? They're not, 
Uh, they don't want to wait any longer. You're asking right now, when will he actually get to the point of the message so we can just hear the point and move on? Come on now. We're impatient. We desperately, and with that impatience, we, we, un- we come to an understanding that we are desperately in need of God. Why? Because he is perfect. He is all satisfying. There is nothing outside of him that we'll ever find satisfaction in. So we're in need of him. So as we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the coming of the Christ, of the Emmanuel, of God being here with us. We need the Messiah. We need the Christ. And so we need Jesus. We need to know him. We need to know everything about him. We need to know his true identity. And I... I tend to think that in our world today, even among Christians, even among saints, that we forget about his true identity. We forget about his reason for coming to the earth. We forget about him being the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. We forget about it. And we just sang about the silent night and how silent it was and about Christ the Savior being born. But it's really, a, it's really a contradiction, because though it was a silent night, so we say in tradition, Christ the Savior being born is nothing to be silent about. It's actually a loud, boisterous, uh, booming thing that happened, that Christ the Savior, the Chosen One, the Anointed One, came to earth to be with us, to sacrifice Himself for us, that we might have right relationship with the Father. So though it's a silent night that we sing about, it's actually pretty loud. And how many of you actually like silence? You get a little bit nervous. Even when I stopped there for a moment, I saw heads pop up because I stopped talking and it was silence. Like, what's, what's going to happen next? And you know, I grew up on radio, KVMC, KAUM, 1320 in Colorado City, Texas. Jim Baum was the owner of that. He's the voice of Mitchell County. And uh, he's, he's, the, uh, he's the radio personality that I listen to and all that old country music. And you listen to the police report. You're familiar with these small town things? You know what I'm talking about, the police report, where Bill Boss's dog got out, but thankfully someone found it. You know what I'm talking about, those small town, those small town uh, police reports. So I grew up on radio. And the thing about radio is you can't pause it or rewind it. Once you hear it, once the song is being played, you have to listen to it through the entire length of the song or turn it off or whatever the case may be. But you're not going to be able to rewind it and say, hey, I want to listen to that again. I also grew up on cassette tapes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you uh, uh, went straight from records to Spotify, and so you have no idea what cassette tapes are. Uh, but but cassette tapes. And some of you even made mixtapes. You're like, this is the best way. I only want to listen to these songs, and so I'm going to make my own tape. I'm going to make my own mixtape so I can listen to the songs that I want to listen to. Music is a part of my family. We grew up going to bluegrass festivals over and over again. My dad and my grandpa both played on the Grand Ole Opry. I went to Nashville one time to the Ryman. I took my picture, a selfie on stage at the Ryman, and my, my granddad harassed me and said, there's no way that you got in there legally. You must have snuck in. There's no way with your talent that you could actually be on stage at the Ryman singing or playing. Thanks, Papa. Music is a part of a major part of my family. Every time that my family gets together, there's music, there's music being played. There's no silence ever. If there's ever a silent moment, someone will start playing an instrument or start singing. Every time we gathered, music constantly playing in the background. Uh, I was talking about on uh, Sunday night, we went Christmas caroling. My family, uh, we walked the neighborhood. Uh, a man on a fiddle, a mandolin, guitar, all these things. We're walking the neighborhood singing Christmas carols, songs. And this, there's no such thing as a silent night in my family at all. And in, and in my con- contemporary position here, 
Songs are always playing. There's always a song going on in my head. Right now there's a song going on in my head. I'm always listening to songs. Zach comes in in the morning and he's like, how do you feel today? And I play a song that's a theme for today. Uh, Hello, hello at a place called Vertigo or something like that. We're always uh, listening to a song. When I was in middle school, I was so excited about getting a CD player and CDs. My mom ordered like 20 CDs for a birthday, and I was so excited about it because on the CD player, you could pick the songs you wanted to listen to. You could even go to the spot that you wanted to listen to and say, this is, this is all that I want to listen to, and push play and, uh, and listen to that song and move on to the, to the next. It was great. And now we have Spotify or iTunes. How many of you are with me? I love you. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Spotify, do you use Tide to get that out? What's going on here? Spotify is all digital. It's on the internet. You can pick whatever song you want to listen to. Listen to it as long as you want. Stop listening to it. Give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Never listen to it ever again. I love Spotify. Spotify is, I'm not even getting paid by them, but I, but I love them. I wish that you had it too so that we could listen to music all the time. You don't like silence. I don't like silence. We don't appreciate it. When silence comes into the world, uh, we want to, to, to put some music on or put something on to, to make the silence Go away. How many of you turn the TV on just to break the silence? I'm not really watching this. I just have it as background noise. I just want to hear something in the house because I can't stand the silence. Some of you, after, after Tuesday, will say, when will we have silence again? When will the grandkids leave or the great-grandkids or my own kids? When will they get out of here? When will my husband or wife leave so I can just have, have some silence? You know, biblically speaking, we're talking about 400 years that it seemed as if God was silent. He was speaking through prophets for a long time. And then all of a sudden it sounded like or seemed like that he went silent for 400 years. I know some of you feel like you're old, but you're not 400 years old. Some of you men feel like you've been married for 400 years, but you have not. Some of you have been part of a silent treatment for most of your marriage, but still it's not 400 years. That was a joke. You can laugh at that. Think about during that time of silence. How many people gave up? How many people said it's not worth it? It's not worth the wait. People were waiting for God to send, to break the silence, to send the Messiah, to send the Christ, to send the chosen one. That's not worth it. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to wait because I'm going to find satisfaction in something else. Yahweh, you seem so far away. I'm not hearing you anymore. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you listening to what I'm saying? We can't. We're not hearing from you. Are you still there? I mean, how many of you have had that moment in your own life where you've prayed to God, you've asked Him to do something, God, will you just speak to me? And it seems as if God has been silent. So you cry out, and then you stop, and you wait, and you listen for a reply, but it still seems as if God remains silent. During that time, those 400 years, some abandoned their faith. Some broke the covenant promises. Some decided to take control of their own lives and forget all about God's promises. Even in our world today, and the times that we feel like God is silent, though we have his revealed word, though the author of Hebrews tells us that God is speaking to us through his son, so he's still speaking through his son Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. Still, we feel like God grows silent. We're waiting for his reply. And in our waiting, we tend to look to other things, trust in other things, make our own sacrifices, put hope in different things instead of, instead of Jesus. We must remain faithful. And in those 400 years of silence before the Christ came into the world, many continued sacrificing, continued trusting in God, continued in their hope of God, 
that one day he would send this new king that he promised. And he would break the silence and rescue his people. So God, and this is the Christmas story, in his infinite wisdom and creative genius, makes a triumphal entry and breaks the silence in a not-so-silent night. And what better way to break his silence and to answer the cries of his people than with the cries of an innocent, heavy on the innocent, by the way, newborn baby. I mean, really, like what's louder than labor pains and newborn babies? Anybody know anything louder than that? However, the expectant victorious king makes his triumphal entry in a less than stellar performance. I mean, think about royal babies for a moment. Royal babies are supposed to be talked about, right? Pictures of their pregnant moms are supposed to be in tabloids. Live tweets should be happening. Instagram should be blowing up. Contests to name the baby should be happening. T-shirts should be sold. Bumper stickers. I mean, think about celebrity babies for a moment. They break the internet, especially royal babies with genealogies leading back to or tracing back to the creator himself. You know, the entrance of God's promised Messiah should make a racket so loud that no pacifier would ever be able to muffle. But instead, God sends an angel to an average, betrothed, adolescent Jewish maiden and quietly announces his heavenly, life-entering, death-exiting plan. That's why we call it silent. A silent night. Not everyone heard about it just at that moment. There wasn't this boom, this thunder, this roar, the sound of trumpets playing so the whole world could hear it. But instead, this silent night happened where God announces his life-entering, death-exiting plan. Now, there will be a day when Christ returns and everyone in the whole world will know about his return. All will hear of it. Everyone will see that he is Lord Philippians 2, Paul says that everyone will know. In heaven, on the earth, under the earth, everyone will know at that moment that Christ is the Lord. But imagine that silent night, if it was to happen in our contemporary world, with the teenage girls that we know. Think about some teenage girls that you know for a moment and how they would respond to this angel coming and announcing quietly to her in in a loud voice maybe, but still quietly to her, hey, this good news of the gospel is about to happen. Maybe if it happened in today's world, it might sound something like this. The angel says to Mary, hey, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. Woo! Because Yahweh's been silent for a long time. And, and I was worried that as you showed up, angel, that maybe I've done something wrong. And the angel says, no, no, you found, you've actually found favor with God. And good news, it's a, a boy. You're pregnant. And then in contemporary terms, teenage Mary just says something like, wait, what? Because that's the original Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew. Wait, what? And the angel says, yep, you're going to have a boy. And the cool thing about it is his name has already been chosen for you. There needs to be no contest with, with what the name should be. Instead, you will name him Jesus. And you will know that he's the savior of the world, the one who brings peace. He will be the greatest and he will be the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne to rule over his kingdom, a kingdom that has no end. I don't know, some of you, maybe you're engaged at the moment or, or you think about back when you were engaged to your spouse, particularly women. You think about a moment for, for a moment when the angel is speaking to you and you think, 
They're talking about me being pregnant with a son, and his dad is Yahweh. I mean, come on. I know he's great, and I said yes to him, but there's no way Joseph is Yahweh. And she says again, wait, what? It doesn't make sense. There's no way, Yahweh, that you would choose me, that all these things would happen. There's no way that this could happen. And the angel responds, you must trust God. What sounds utterly impossible to you, through God is completely, God is completely capable of doing. In fact, nothing will be impossible for God to do. Maybe Mary answered something like, okay then, if that's the case, let it be. Save the world, use me. And in a sense, we're, we're those same agents representing Christ, being these ambassadors, the light of the world. Lord, if you're going to save the entire world through your son, if it takes me to, to be the messenger, to be the, uh, the vessel to be used, so, so be it. Save the world. Use me. So Jesus' mom and future stepdad Joseph, though imperfect sinners, trust the words that are resonating peacefully inside of them and agree to follow God's redemptive plan. So it seems God quietly enters this broken, beat-up, and desperate world in the form of an innocent baby boy, born to unlikely parents while in a less-than-majestic setting. And at just the right time, when it seems as if God's silence will never end, the Christ makes his triumphant entry, and he brings with him a boisterous sound that will echo throughout eternity. Christ, the Savior, is born. The anointed one, the chosen one, he is born. And this sound of him being born and entering into the world will echo throughout eternity. God's silence is discontinued with angels singing glory to God in the highest and with shepherds worshiping their new king, with a mother doing her very best to soothe the royal infant and a stepdad pacing the barn overwhelmed with excitement. And I even imagine some of the barn animals, particularly those that were being raised only for the purpose of being sacrificed for sins, that when they saw the perfect spotless lamb enter the world, even grown sheep began to bleat in victory, knowing that no longer would they be taking the wrath upon themselves as sheep, but instead this spotless lamb would take all of the wrath of God upon himself to save the entire world. And so we celebrate, along with new parents and shepherds and angels and long-traveled kings and expectant Israelites, we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, who is called the Christ. In our contemporary world today, we like to romanticize this moment. In the words of Ricky Bobby, we like to celebrate little infant, eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus lying there so soft and cuddly, not saying a word, but still omnipotent. We like to romanticize this moment. This is kind of where we get stuck. We stay in this moment because it's good. It feels good. It feels right. It's precious. We forget Christ's full identity. We get stuck in this baby Jesus lying there, so soft and cuddly, and we think that Christ's identity all rests in that. That his identity is summed up in the Christmas story. But that's not where, that's not where it stops. We think this place is good. We love this place. We set timers so that we know when this place is coming back again. After Tuesday, it will happen again. Let's get back to this place of Christmas, to this season. I mean, yeah, we understand that Jesus is the reason for the season, but it's such a good feeling. Let's get back to this moment. 
I mean, it's a baby born in a barn and hay and angels and friends and family traveling to see us and bright lights and red and white shepherd's staff that tastes like sugar and gifts. So how we love the gifts. Raise your hand if you like a gift. If we could, if we could make time stand still, many of us would stop it right here. Right here, right before we open the gift. Right before we see that I see the presence under the tree. I understand the family's coming to see me and I love this moment. The thought of this. Before things go wrong. Before you bought the wrong size. Before the gift was not what your child asked for. Before the gift was not what your wife wanted at all. We want to stop at this moment when all things feel right. Almost perfect. Stop at this moment. Enjoy this season. It's precious. And often we feel satisfied with this particular moment. We like the identity of Christmas, the sounds, the taste, the feelings, all those things that are wrapped up in the Christmas season. We enjoy it. However, this moment is just a moment, a moment that helps us to silence the deafening noise the deafening noise that's all around us, the noise of the broken, hurting world that's longing for satisfaction, that they don't realize, but they're longing for salvation in Christ the Chosen One. I mean, we, we like to join with Buddy the Elf and say that the best way to bring Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And the louder we sing, the less we're going to hear the brokenness of the world. Let's just drown out the brokenness. Let's drown out the sin. Let's drown out the unholiness, the impurities. Let's drown out all those things so we never hear them again. Let's make this night silent and about good feelings and about positive thoughts. Instead of thinking about uh, the, the entire history of the world weighted on or put on the back of Jesus. The cross that has to come. The sacrifice that must be made. I and mean, if we truly understood, understood and were satisfied in Christ... It wouldn't matter who you shared Christmas with, who was here or wasn't here. It wouldn't matter what the presents were, what we did get or didn't receive, or just how dry the turkey was or is or going to be. Nonetheless, we do our best to stop time, mute the world around us, and make this season perfect and satisfied in the moment. And then just like the Christmas cookies that the bosses brought to our house yesterday, in an instant they're gone, just like that. In an instant, the romanticized moment is gone. And the next thing you know, it's, it's Christmas, and it's over, eh? And it's Canadian Boxing Day. <laughs> Almost instantly, we lose that satisfied feeling and start planning next year's season. Well, this season's over. Let's plan for the next one. And I'm all about this. Really, there's only two, two real seasons that I, I even really care about fishing and hunting season. So I'm all about when hunting season ends, let's talk about fishing season, planning for the next thing. The same with Christmas. Many of us are the same way. We get caught up in this moment and this season and wanting it to, to last forever and find that there's no satisfaction in it. And so we start coming up with a better wish list. Maybe if I would have got these things or done this thing, or maybe if all the family would have been here, if I would have done these things or made this cake or if the turkey wouldn't have been so dry, maybe things would have been better. We understand that nothing, none of that will actually satisfy. We try our best to slow down time and make this moment last forever. And the world even tries to help us, right? I mean, Walmart starts selling Christmas stuff now right after Lincoln's birthday. And we think, why is Christmas already coming? Because it's such a great feeling and people will respond to it. 
We keep our lights up on our, on our house until March or April, whichever is the windier month that actually blows them down for us. We keep our Christmas trees up and they become freedom trees decorated with stars and stripes and Lady Liberty on top. And you keep it up as long as you can until your dog drinks up all the water. It dries up and you're afraid of the, the fire that might happen. We do our best to hang on to the moment. The moment baby Jesus was born. Why? Because it's precious. Because it gives us a good feeling. Because, in, because for a moment we find satisfaction in it. The only problem is, is that baby Jesus didn't stay a baby very long. I'm not sure if you're familiar with how babies work, but they tend to grow with the right nutrients and cafeteria meal plan. They can even become full-grown adults and someday full-grown adults with full-grown beards. <laughs> and despite the fact that Jesus' mom and earthly stepdad lost him once at church of all places, he grew up. And though in his growing up, his identity never changed. Let me say that again. In Jesus' growing up, his identity never changed. From the moment that Jesus came to this world, his identity has always been the same. Have you been to a class reunion? Maybe from when you graduated years ago, and someone says to you, man, you haven't changed. Or more likely, wow, you've changed. Came back from college. I've told you this story before, but I came back from college and one of my friends had a gentleman who worked with him that barely spoke any English. And as I walk up to, to greet him, he says, wow, you got fat. Wow, you learned English. Thank you. <laughs> my identity had changed drastically, apparently. <laughs> but Jesus, even as a baby, his identity never changed. Matthew 1, 16. Jesus, the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, his identity has never changed. So, so what happens? Earthly, we, we change his identity to make him who we think he should be, to make him Santa Claus, to take him out of our pocket and say, do these things for me like a genie. Grant me all the wishes I desire. But instead, biblically, we must reframe, refocus our own attention on who the anointed one and his true identity really is. We must no longer view him as cute, cuddly baby Jesus. Instead, we must see him as cross-carrying, sin-conquering, Satan-destroying King Jesus. We can't get stuck in the baby Jesus moment. We can't let the baby Jesus picture Persuade even our prayers. We don't let the gift-giving moment of Jesus' birth affect our vision of who Jesus is and what he came into this world to do. Even the boy Jesus, whom his parents left in the temple, knew his true identity and from the start had the cross on his mind. I mean, think about this. I have a junior higher. His identity is changing. We often wrap up our identity in the things around us. We say, this is who I am at the moment. I'm a junior higher. I'm a, I'm a 12-year-old. My identity's wrapped up in this. And then one day he'll be in high school. And we say, now my identity's different. I have facial hair. I got strong muscles. Not as strong as my daddy, but still. And then one day he'll have a career. And he'll say, this is who I am. And we get wrapped up in those things. 
Jesus from birth. Matthew 1.16, he is the Christ. Christ, the anointed one. His identity is clear. It's never changing. It's always been the same. He is the Messiah. Not one of the ones, but the one. He is the anointed one, the Christ. Can you imagine telling your spouse, Honey, I love you. You're one of the ones. You're one of the ones I would have married. I mean, there's, there's not any others that's just as good. Maybe there are a few that's just as good as you or just as perfect as you are. That wouldn't go very well. You definitely wouldn't get any Christmas presents under the tree. It would be in the fireplace. Now, Jesus isn't one of the ones. He is the one. D.A. Carson says this. That's how the term Messiah works. When we say Jesus Christ, we should be thinking in our mind, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the promised priest, king, prophet. Jesus the one who was anointed by God to bring about our redemption. He is Jesus who has been set aside by God, anointed by God, the ultimate redeemer, the ultimate anointed one, the ultimate Christ. Christ the Savior is born. From his birth, Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one set aside for a moment. His identity was, is, and will always be secure. And we as followers of him must understand his true identity. Most of us have formed our identity upon something else, particularly things that make us feel right or feel good. I mean, when somebody asks you who you are, you don't grab ink from your pocket and put it on your thumb and mash it on the paper. like, well, there's my ID. There's my fingerprint ID right there. This is who I am. You don't look at yourself like that. Instead, you begin to explain to them things about what you want your identity to be, how you walk, how you talk, your great accent, your family, your last name, how good your jokes are, right? Your laugh, your friends. Maybe you define your identity by your vehicle, your salary, your job. Maybe by your spouse. Maybe by your strength. Maybe by your language. Maybe by your political party, your denomination, or your church, your hobbies, or all the degrees you have or don't have. You begin to identify yourself in that way. Christ didn't have to grow up to find out who he was. Christ didn't have to go to the cross to find out who he was. Christ didn't have to go to the grave to find out who he was. From the moment he entered this world, he knew his identity, the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah to come and save the entire world. And when we sing Christ the Savior is born, we're talking about his identity wrapped up in everything that he is. Christ came with a set identity. A set purpose. He didn't wait for junior high or retirement. He didn't wait for marriage. He didn't wait to go to his first Christmas concert and then share with the world after hearing the song, I now know who I am. They were singing the song about my mom saying, Mary, do you know who he is? And it fi I figured it out. I know who I am. No, from birth, he knew who he was, is, and will always be the Christ, God's anointed one, the one. If our identity is not found in him, we have no purpose. We have no true identity. We have nothing. The gospel is this. The gospel is Jesus in my place. Not a copy and a paste. No, it's copy and replace. Grace in your place. Your identity is now Jesus. Someone once said that your identity is not what you think it is or even what others think it is. But instead, your identity is what you think others think it is. Let me say it again. Your identity is not what you think it is or what others think your identity is, but instead, it's what you think others think your identity is. We're consumed with that. Who do you think that I am? 
We find this in Matthew chapter 16, and I want you to turn there. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's interesting because as Jesus asked the first question and the responses were, who do people think the Son of Man is? or Who do people think that the the Savior is going to be? They list people who are dead. They list John the Baptist. They list Elijah, Jeremiah, prophets of old, great godly men, but people who are not alive, holding on to the past, not sure about the identity of who the Savior actually is. And Peter, in his wisdom or lack of wisdom, maybe his naivety or, or maybe just his innocence, Peter says in reply, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Peter makes that statement, you are the Christ, he's saying there is no other. He's raised in a religious home. He knows the prophecies. He knows that they're waiting as Jewish people for the, the coming of the Christ. And he sums it up and says, you know what? At this moment, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't say the Son of Mary and Joseph, living a good life, almost complete to perfection, who may or may not be the chosen one. But instead, he says, you are the chosen one. When you confess Christ as Lord, when you confess Christ as Lord, when you confess Christ as Lord, you are saying that he is the chosen one sent by God to save you and the rest of the world. He's the one. There is no present under any tree that will ever satisfy you. There is only one gift, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, the chosen one that will ever satisfy everything that you ever need. Verse 17 says this, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What do you need to know this Christmas season? You're, you're not going to find the answers to everything that you need and who your true identity can be or should be if you're looking at things upon this earth. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, plead to the Father in heaven, reveal to me the identity of your Son so that I may worship him as Lord of my life forever. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples, tell no one that he was the Christ. Jesus isn't having an identity crisis here. He's firm on who he is. He knows from birth that he is the Christ. From birth to death, to resurrection, to ruling forever. He is the chosen one. Verse 21, And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, I just called you the Christ. I just said that you're the son of the living God. What are you talking about dying now? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You're cute, cuddly baby Jesus. Eight pounds, six ounces. I know you're all omnipotent, but still, this will never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. So ironic. He just gave him the keys to the kingdom. And now he's saying he's Satan. Satan has keys to the kingdom. It doesn't make any sense. Peter's vision went from the Christ, the chosen one, the son of the living God, back to himself in a moment. And when he began thinking about himself and his feelings and getting caught up in the moment, his vision distracted by sounds around him, his vision was lost in the ultimate plan of redemption through Jesus the Christ. And how often that happens to us. Is Jesus really worth the wait for his return? Should we continue waiting for the final return of Christ? Should I continue to live my entire life for him and for his glory? Or should I turn aside to other things? But but Jesus, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Our plea this morning, my plea to you this morning is this. Simply set your mind on the things of God and not on the things of men. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Why? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Try that Christmas morning. Hey, you know what? We got rid of all the gifts because we see that they pale in comparison to our Savior Jesus, the Christ. And as a matter of fact, we're going to plead with God this morning on this Christmas morning. Plead for holiness. Plead for his mercy, for his compassion, for his grace. That we may not gain anything from this world and forfeit our soul, but instead we may see that Christ is our ultimate treasure. For what will it profit a man if he gains every gift that he asks for on his wish list, yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ, the anointed one. And your identity in anything other than Christ leads to idolatry. When Peter says you're the Christ, he's saying you are the one. There is no other. Your identity in anything else other than Christ leads to idolatry. If Jesus was all you received, would you be satisfied? Why not? Mostly because our hearts have a longing. Our hearts have a a tug from the outside world, from evilness, from sin, that wants to reign and rule over us. Christ has come as the anointed one to save us from sin, to save us from death, to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. And anything else in this world will never satisfy that longing. Our identity must be wrapped up in Christ and Christ alone. Anything else other than Jesus will only lead to idolatry and continued desperation. You know, originally Christmas was set to be a worship service to celebrate the Christ. It was a Christ Mass set up to celebrate the birth of the Christ. Shouldn't that be an everyday thing? Shouldn't we be every day worshiping the Christ, the one, the chosen one, today, this morning? Christ, here I am before you, saying, you're it. You're the chosen one. There is no other. So you're it. And so my life for you and for you alone. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christmas, a time set to worship and celebrate the coming of the Christ. And then tomorrow, the same thing. Your life to celebrate the coming of the Christ. Our identity wrapped up in him, nothing of this world, nothing less than Jesus, but only Jesus. So to end, the baby Jesus moment is a triumphal, beautiful moment. But we must see the big picture. We must zoom out, see Jesus for all that he is. Listen to every verse of the song. Understand that though we sing of a silent night, brokenness cries loudly for all to hear. There's desperation for peace. There's orphans and widows in need of care. There's marriages that are in need of reconciliation. There's financial stresses that need to be relieved. There's the depressed that need encouragement. They're lonely and need to be loved. Sick in need of healing. Blind need of sight. The lost need a shepherd. Sins need forgiveness. And the works of Satan need to be destroyed. And only the Christ can do that. So this morning, understand, there is joy to sing to the world because the Christ has come. Let's pray. Jesus, as we sing to you in response of who you are and what you've done and what you're doing, thank you for the reminder that you are the Christ, the chosen one. We don't have to look any further. We can find you. You've given us access to the Father through your life, through your death, through your burial, through your resurrection, through your perfect sacrifice, perfect life, because of who you are. God, help us not to wrap our own identities up in ourselves or anything else in this world. Help us to see Jesus for all that he is. Help us to see that if prophecy can be fulfilled in Jesus, our lives can be fulfilled in Jesus as well. Help us to see that our identity wrapped up in anything else other than Christ will only lead us to idolatry, worshiping things of this world or people of this world. That our whole life needs to be in worship of you. God, because of your mercy, because of your compassion, because of your sacrifice that was holy and acceptable to you. God, thank you for bringing all things together and holding all things together. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin. Thank you for allowing us to call you Lord and adopting us into your family. God, help us as your people, people belonging to you, to see Christ as the anointed one. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.